0: This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners.
1: You're listening to Be Kind, Rewind with Tim Nidell. Taking you back to when movies were actually good. good.
2: Are you telling me that you built a
1: time machine? Out of a DeLorean? When music wasn't auto-tuned. When TV only had a few channels. And now, here's your host, Tim Nidell. Well, hey guys. Welcome to a brand new episode of Be Kind Rewind with your host, Tim Nidell, which is me. So as you know, Beacon Rewind is all about going back to the good old days, going back when movies were awesome, music was actually good, not out tuned and television was this huge event where we had to be there at a specific time to see our favorite TV shows. And for this episode, we are going all the way back to 1989 because I'm interviewing the voice of the Crypt Keeper himself from Tales from the Crypt, John Kassir. Now, here is a story you can sink your teeth into. Tell Us From the Crypt was one of those shows where I definitely should not have been watching at the age of nine. I don't think I really started when I was nine. I think it was early nineties, you know, maybe I was like 11 or so, but we had HBO. I loved horror movies. You know, I grew up watching Friday the 13th on TNT. Of course, it was censored and everything, but if you catch it late Saturday night with Joe Bob Briggs, it wasn't as censored as, you know, watching it on afternoon. (laughs) So I grew up loving horror movies and I just loved Tales from the Crypt. And of course, the Crypt Keeper himself kind of... Kind of made the show, honestly. He, he really did. I mean, had had amazing directors, producers, major and great storylines. But the host himself had to set up every episode. And I think the Crypt was a perfect choice for that show. And the voice that John Casir chose for the Crypt was just amazing. And, of course, we're going to be talking all about that and about some of his other voice work in my interview just coming up shortly. But before I play it, make sure to go to my website, timnidell.com. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm posting weekly videos on there. Listen to my other podcast, Saturday Morning Rewind, where I interview voice actors that I grew up loving. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram. All of those links are on there, timnidell.com. I'd really appreciate it if you would follow me everywhere you know not i mean not everywhere but uh anywhere online at least but like i said let's go back to the year 1989 the year that tells from the crypt debuted on hbo and let's listen to my interview with the voice of the crypt keeper himself john kassir so let's let's start off to get to know you a little bit more what kind of a kid were you were you always in love with horror movies and and, and horror comics that kind of stuff
0: well, you know, it's funny, um, in terms of Tales from the Crypt, um, I, uh, used to collect the comic books. Uh, my grandfather had like a little store, uh, as a side business and there was a rack of comic books and, um, you know, when my uh, cousins and I would, uh, you know, in the summer we'd go visit my grandparents, we'd, uh. Hike our way down to my grandfather's store, and he said yeah, we could pick a comic book or, or a magazine from the rack. Um, you know, the Tales from the Crypt comic books, of course, were kind of taboo, and they'd be sitting up the top of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the top of the rack. I'd climb up the rack <laughs> and get the Tales from the Crypt, sneak off with them. I actually even, probably even had a few stashed away that were uh, probably very collectible at this point, but I, um, I think my mom found them and. and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, gave them to some kid down the street. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, when I came back, after getting the part in Tales from the Crypt, I came home looking for them, thinking they would be re- very collectible, especially since I could sign them.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so true, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> and uh, and they were gone, and, uh, along with my Hot Wheels and my Matchbox cars, which were all my collectible <laughs> stuff. I was like, "Were you kidding me? She goes, oh, I gave them when you were in college i gave them to some kid down the street i was like,
1: no. I, I, f- I feel your pain my parents did the same exact thing when i was 19 and i moved away i was like you know I'm, i don't play with them but it'd be nice to keep them they're they're all memories
0: yeah well and and and, and very often you know highly collectible stuff too exactly. um but uh i loved i mean they had a thing in baltimore where i grew up they had a uh, uh, in the afternoons, uh, late afternoons, they had something called Twilight Movie. I think it was probably around 4 or 4.30 or something when my mother, in between, when I came home from school and my mother was making dinner, so I would sit down and watch whatever they had. And they would play everything from, you know, Dora's Day movies to Mothra, you know. And But they would always show, um, you know, at least, you know, one every couple of weeks or whatever, one of the Universal Horror Monster Movies, um, you know, whether it was Wolfman or um, even the comedies like uh, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Yeah, and these were these were definitely my favorite movies of the time. Um, I had uh, I remembered ordering from one of the one, one of the back of some comic book like a six foot cutout of Frankenstein that I had in the corner of my bedroom. That because um, I remember seeing Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein and they find Frankenstein in like a a crate with, you know, all this packing, uh, um, you know, shredded packing material, and I was like, you can order a Frankenstein? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so when I found out you actually could order one, but it was, you know, paper cut out and cardboard cut out. You know, I ordered it and I uh. had it sitting in the corner of my room and uh, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and swear it was coming closer to me. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I did love horror. I, I don't think it was ever... You know, now I've I've grown a taste for you know well, when they're well done slasher movies and that kind of thing. But I don't think that was that was really my deal. Uh, although I do remember some of the earlier ones and in, in loving taking dates to go see uh, you know like Night of the Living Dead. Yes, and when yes. They, when they you know Dawn of the Dead, they do those as uh, double features and stuff. You know, they they just close the doors and. Um, you know, they'd either show the William Castle movies like The Tingler and stuff like that. Oh, so and, good, yes, yeah, and they they'd close all the doors and you know there'd inevitably be some guy tripping his <laughs> off on LSD, you know, down in the front of the theater <laughs> screaming at the screen, and people would be laughing at the, like his ridiculous comments or you know that kind of thing. But um, uh, you know, I love uh, back then that was something to get into, you know.
2: Oh, Ma, process!
1: Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, aha! Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah! With an EXCLUSIVE Loot on Surprises delivered to your door every month! Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy! Ha uh-huh. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! woo To the with, today, huh? with starting as large as 11 Monday per month, Those are box just about for all collectors To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us
0: forward slash Loot Crate and claim your exclusive offer! That's f-e-n-i-x media
2: dot forward slash Loot Crate! Great Scott! Snap into a Loot Crate, dig it?
1: I wasn't too familiar with the comic series of Tales from the Crypt. Was the Crypt Keeper a prominent role in the comics as well?
0: Oh yeah, he was, you know, there, was, there were other characters there as well. Um, but the, the Crypt Keeper always, in the classic form of our show, um, you know, our show really tried to capture the elements of the comic book in the way that it, you know, brought it across. And the Crypt Keeper would have, um, he'd be up in the corner of, you know some of the little frames of the comic, you know, making his comments, and you know there'd be a little bubble, and uh, he'd be on the cover, in little, you know, corners of the cover, um, you know, saying stuff like "Hello boils and ghouls," you know, I mean that was taken right from the comic book.
1: Nice.
0: Um, so, and uh, he was also um, assisted by the vault keeper and uh, a character called the old witch. Um, our Crypt Keeper, the way he was designed and um, the look and the feel of him, uh, Kevin Yeager had conceived as kind of a combination of those three characters. Um, he looked more like, uh, I think the Crypt Keeper in the comic books looked more along the line of, um, you know, an old man in a, in a hooded shroud, you know, something that was that uh, looked a little more human and not dead. Okay. But, um uh, I'm sure he probably was meant to be you know probably living dead, but uh he he didn't come off quite as much that way um, but that whole you know comedy tongue in cheek idea of him uh was very much something that I knew uh, I wanted to bring to it when i was when I had the opportunity to audition for it. I was doing another series for h b o called first and ten uh which was about a uh, um, <clears throat> you know, football team. And that was, uh, HBO's first series, um, starred, uh, OJ Simpson is the general manager. Oh, really, Delta, Bur- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delta Burke <laughs> was the owner of the team. She had won a divorce settlement and, um, was a pro team called the California Bulls. And over the years, we had all kinds of great people on there. They had all, all kinds of great football players that came on each week. And, um, and uh, we had, you know, people like Chris Maloney played the uh, Chris uh, Maloney played the quarterback one, season, you know, one or two seasons, and uh, Jason Begay was one of the quarterbacks for a couple of seasons, um, that kind of thing. But we also would have, you know, um, Ted Hendricks or some, you know, Joe Namath or Joe Montana or somebody come on, and be a newscaster or you know uh, a football player or an exec or something like that. So the show was full of uh football and um I played uh uh the Bulgarian field goal kickers. I got Shkinsky. <laughs> I could kick uh sixty yard field goals. So I was uh this little foreign guy who was let loose on America with all this money and fame and uh no real sense of uh cause and effect. So um <laughs> you know <laughs> I would, uh, you know, just walk up to two chicks and say, hey, I am zagreb I play for the California Bulls. I fuck you buff, yes? And I'd get a <laughs> drink in my face. And they'd be like, you love me, you know? So it was a, it was a really fun character. And I and um, I had also, uh, you know, not so many years before, I'd won Star Search as a stand-up comedian.
1: Yeah, I saw I, that.
0: Yeah, that kind of came to me in an odd way. Um, where I was doing an off-Broadway musical uh, starring myself along with Scott Bakula and a guy named Jerry Colker who wrote the piece, and uh, it was uh, Think Dream Girls for stand-ups. It's a musical. Three stand-ups uh, alone, they're not so good. Together, they're 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 a big hit. Um, you know, in their whole life, uh, uh, you know, getting the spoils of Hollywood, going from New York uh, in these small clubs to Hollywood. And it was a big hit off-Broadway, and I played a very dark, kind of untethered uh, comic, kind of in the vein of a, of, a, of an Andy Kaufman kind of character. And uh, it, it launched a lot of uh, my career for me. People from Star Search in their first season saw me in the show and asked me to come on as a stand-up comic. And I said, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic. It's the part I'm playing in the show. And they said, well, you can win $100,000. I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> Can I tell you about my stand up uh, material uh, <laughs> that I'm writing right now? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so I went on and I won uh Star Search uh doing bits that were would include like I'd do the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes or I'd do, you know, um, you know, a salesman and selling a three in one machine that I would become the machine and stuff like that and So, kind of like Ernie Kovacs kind of stuff, if you know Ernie Kovacs from back in the day. And, you know, so people knew me as this guy who did all these voices and characters and stuff. So HBO were like, hey, you know, we should have John come down and audition, you know, for Kevin. Um, Kevin Yeager was having the auditions at his studio. Um, You know, and you got to see The Crick Keeper and that kind of thing. And I remember going down and seeing all these other you know, you know, some of the people were, you know, established actors, and they had voiceover guys, and they had some stand-up comics. And they probably had about, when I was there, probably about, you know, a dozen, 15 different, um, you know, really talented people down mm-hmm. there. And I, I saw them looking at the copy, reading it, going, be careful what you ask for, you may get it. You know, and they're thinking, how do you deliver this crap? It's like, you know, they didn't get it no. having you know, growing up with the comic books and that kind of thing, I was like, you guys don't get it. He loves saying this, you know, Uh loves Uh saying, Uh so, you know, and what I saw physically of the character, um, you know, I went in to Kevin's office where he had a little uh, makeshift recording set up for me to record with, and, um, you know, I started entertaining him as the grip keeper and some of the copy they had written and then uh, improvising a little bit on my own. And, and then I found myself as he was getting into it, I found myself laughing at my own jokes, uh, you know, as the Crypt Keeper Uh and then just breaking into this cackling, you know, Margaret Hamilton from the Wizard of Oz laugh, you know? And he was just like shaking his head going, yeah, 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 give, give me more, you know? And the next day he had me doing it for Joel Silver and, 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 um, uh, Richard Donner in their office. Wow. And uh, they were like, oh, we love this. This is great. We'll see you on the set. You know, and that was the rest of history with that. So, um, you know, it was uh, a lot of my love for it and also some, you know, strange circumstances that brought me there. Um, you know, you do a, you work in this business for, uh, in my case, 36 years. Uh, supporting myself as an actor. And, you know, if you have one thing that people even remember, I mean, I've done a a number of TV series that you've probably never even heard of, including my own kid show on the USA Network called Johnny Time, which was uh, really, really great and really a lot of fun to do, but short-lived.
1: What year was that?
0: Um, uh, 97?
1: Okay, okay. 98? So I would have been in high school then.
0: Yeah. It was. It it actually wound up being like a a show that was that went over really big with kids and stoners. It was, it was, kind, of a, <laughs> it was kind of a psychedelic kid show that uh-huh. I did for the USA Network. Um, it was going to be the flagship for their children's programming on Saturday and Sunday mornings, and um, I, they wound up in some kind of legal battle over who owned the network um, between two different studios and. The studio that I came in with was not the one that that was that was winning that legal
2: battle,
0: <laughs> so they didn't they didn't uh, they didn't have really any money to create any children's programming other than what they had already shot of my show. So we went up like the only kids show on the USA wow. Network, so we were the lead into the WWF on Sunday mornings.
1: So <laughs> wow,
0: interesting. wrapped <laughs> up being this really <laughs> crazy kids show. It's like TV Guide, you know, featured us in their in their you know their yearly children's programming guide is like the best, you know, best kid show on tv and that kind of <laughs> thing but you know you're not gonna without a block of kids programming you're not gonna really yeah. get a lot of attention Exa-
2: for it exactly
0: so, um every once in a while somebody will write me on facebook or something about how they love johnny time and where they can they get copies and stuff and how they they had recorded it and their kids are addicted to it and that kind of thing it was a it was a really really great show i got to hire all my friends and you know, I played all the characters except the kids that I would pull through the TV set that would be on my show. But um, it was, uh, it was you know, just had a real psychedelic kind of feel to it. And um, uh, I think it could have been, you know, it could have been like, a, you know, the next Pee Wee's Playhouse or something if it had
2: yeah. know,
0: uh, gotten its light. But I should probably put it on YouTube.
1: Oh, so uh, that would be amazing. I would love to see that.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wacky, uh, pretty wacky show, um, but I think Mike Myers with his own kid show—that you know, <laughs> kind of—that feels good. Nice, yeah. But um, so you know, th- that's the kind of stuff that I got to do uh, over the years, and here, you know, Tales from the Crypt is the thing that people have still have gravitated back towards, and that still has an audience and. Um, you know for years uh after tales from the crypt was was off the air people were still watching it but i thought it was still just the adult audience that originally had seen no, the show no no and you know didn't realize till i started you know being you know asked constantly to come to some of these horror conventions um uh, which i love going to just for my own uh enjoyment of the of the whole scene um you know how how many kids grew up with Tales from the Crypt? Because uh, if you had asked me if kids were watching it when it was originally on HBO with all the nudity and the language and the gore and everything, uh, I'd be like, "No <laughs> way!" But I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I was completely wrong. They, they were all watching it.
1: Yeah, I was. I was actually nine when it premiered and uh oh. I, I, here's my story though i was terrified of the Crypt Keeper. i remember there's two things i was afraid of as a kid The first thing was robert stack's voice from unsolved mysteries i was terrified <laughs> when i heard his voice and the second thing was a Crypt Keeper. so That's you terrified great. me for at least a good couple years i think i started watching it i want to say when i was maybe 11 or 12 perfect so it would have been like 91 92 ish
0: Certain kids just immediately know when something has kind of like a tongue-in-cheek aspect to it, and other kids are just like terrified of it, yeah. you know?
1: I think my mom is the one that made me scared, because I remember the first time I saw your character on TV, where we're sitting in the living room, and a commercial came on, or something came on with a peeper and she like jumped up with a blanket and just like covered the TV so I wouldn't see it. That's first, <laughs> my first exposure to your character. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Well you know I mean that's how people reacted to the comic book back in the fifties and sixties. Exactly. The reason there are, you know, ratings on comic books is because of the tales from the E C comics that William Gaines had put out there, including Tales from the Crypt. And um, but it's funny, I get all kinds of stories from it's the only show that my whole family sat down and watched together wow. to my parents would punish me and make me watch it if I was bad <laughs> to my parents wouldn't let me watch it if I was bad to um you know my parents wouldn't let me watch it, but I spent weekends with my grandma, so we watched it together um, I mean, I get all these stories and you know people watched it and and a lot of the people were like, "This is what introduced me to horror. this was what got me into horror, and you know your voice yeah you know sometimes I couldn't watch it, but I'd listen to your voice in the background, and it would just you know, and you know obviously a lot of people did a lot of great work on that show, oh, yeah, they got a lot of favors. It was a very expensive show to do, which is probably why it's not been put it wasn't back on the air yeah. uh, you know uh, yet um and you know they got a lot of favors. So they got a lot of stars. You had the biggest producers in Hollywood producing it, so they could get a lot of favors. And um, you know, this just they just really went way out of their way to make sure that it that it had stories out of the comic book, was shot like the frames of the of what it looked like in the comic book. You know, they got great directors, great actors, and the whole deal. but i'm I'm kind of like one of the ones that get to enjoy the benefits of it uh, of the the memory of it, because I was the pitch man. I yeah. was the guy that made it different from the other anthologies. You know, the Crypt Keeper was, you know, I mean, Tales from the Crypt was like a roller coaster ride, and the Crypt Keeper was kind of like the, the ride up to the top before it drops you down, you know. And so um, he had that kind of titillating aspect to it and let you know that this was supposed to be fun. And that you were going to have a good time, and you could laugh at it, and and you know, um, even if it scared you, it was still for fun. You know that this is this was a um, a titillating candy bar, if you will. But um, you know, they don't they didn't keep the rights because they never. I don't think they realized that there was an audience that was that it had gained uh, from many years ago that were now old enough to, to want it you know, to pay for it, to be on TV. So, you know, the rights were sold by the Gaines family to TNT and uh, this version they want to do with M. Night Shyamalan, which won't include or can't include um, me or the Crypt Keeper that I voiced because that was created specifically for our version. Wow. It was, was, uh, you know... Um, unless they were willing to license it to them or something, which I don't think they would be, you know, because I'm sure they'd love to have the show back, you know, the licensing back to put it on the air. But um, you know, I'm am just a uh, you know a part of it. But you know, uh, I'm a lot of the fan base and people associate me as Tales from the Crypt, which is kind of fun. You know, I mean it's not something they ever bargained for. You know, I've, I've, I was, even after winning Star Search, I was kind of even though i knew that you know and enjoyed a certain amount of celebrity because i knew it was important to getting work um it wasn't something that i worked that hard at you know i mean we didn't really have social media back then you had to hire publicists mm-hmm. they were very expensive and that kind of thing and i just you know was happy to to continue to work and make my you know a, a really nice living as an actor and then of course as you get older you realize it's like okay why did i just lose that part to scott Bayo. okay well because he was <laughs> on a, he's better known than i am you know it's like that's that's fine and scott baio's great and you know you should get parts and that kind of thing but it's like you know come on um but that's that's just the way it works now of course social media has you know any project that i do you know i wind up having to you know i've feel like I bore people by putting my stuff up on social media but the fact is is your your own Nielsen ratings now. You have to do it. Exactly. They expect you to do it. Yep. Some of the projects that I worked on have it in your contract. They expect you to be tweeting and you know, putting it on social media and that kind of thing. And the fan base is really generous about being involved and and they enjoy sharing the ride with you, you know, right now, um as we're recording this, uh um uh, some uh the audience may remember that i I would have just have done uh Petes Dragon, yeah the was yes. of uh, Elliot the dragon, and um you know, and it's such a beautiful film. I'm so happy so happy and proud to be on it out of you know'cause you get you know over your career you do a lot of good good stuff but most of it's crap, <laughs>
2: it's
0: just <laughs> the nature of you know what gets made and um so when you're attached to something that's really wonderful you, you know you put it out there. And people have been going in droves to go see it, you know, that know me and, and uh, or or fans and that kind of thing and sending me great comments about how much they love the movie and about how great it is and and uh, that kind of thing. So I get to actually share it with a bunch of people that I know and a bunch of people that I don't know who are kind of like my social media friends. And um, so I enjoy that aspect of it. It's a little different than, you know... Um, past years when I, you know, when I was younger, and that was probably the meat and potatoes and the salad days of, well, more the salad days of my uh, my youth, my, um, you know, my career where I was working, like, nonstop in so many different projects and, um, you know, didn't even have time to promote them. I just had time to shoot them and do them, you know.
1: Now, tell me about your version of Elliot in the uh, New Peace Dragon. What approach did you take on giving him the voice he has?
0: Um, you know, I had to take the approach off of what they had created because um, very often, like when I did the voice of Miko the raccoon in Pocahontas and that kind of thing, you, you're really going off a of storyboards and the director and the, you know, the creators and that kind of thing, the information that you're, you're giving them and you're creating <laughs> this, um, uh, you know, you're creating this, you know, raccoon and. With the idea of, you know, they're talking you through it. Okay, he's running. He goes into a log. He comes out of the log. He looks down and he's over a body of water. As he's going down halfway, he's fighting his way down. Then he realizes, oh, this water going to be fine. He goes into a swan dive. He pops. You know, and you start. He spits water out. You know, you do. The, you do this as uh, as an actor in a room, and they're shooting. Maybe they're even shooting video of you so they can see how you're moving and that kind of thing mm-hmm. to incorporate in it. But in the case of something like Peach Dragon, where they've, you know, these uh, incredible animators have um, made this uh, beautiful dragon that marries really well with the live action of the movie, um, I had the luxury of, of going in and seeing what they had done. Uh, it wasn't all finished, but a lot of it was. And so I had to create sounds and emotions and try to bring to life the vocal aspects of a film. Uh, what was already physically realized um, on screen. So I got to work a lot with the editor, as well as the, you know David Lowry who was the director, but um, a lot with the editor, who knew what she needed to fill every moment to make the character relate to the little boy who had you know who was probably playing to a tennis ball on a pole at the time mm-hmm. when he shot it. And so you have to bring this other element to it that brings the actual you know, animated dragon that wasn't there while the kid was shooting it relating to the way the kid was acting as well. So, um, you know, almost bringing some human qualities to some animal kind of noises. Um, so when we first started doing it, I was trying to do some big sounds cause it was, you know, it was a twenty, twenty-five 25 foot creature, um, in the reality of the movie. And, um, and I realized, you know, it's, uh, over the the years of doing, ga- ga- you know, interactive games and that kind of thing, where I do a lot of animals and voices and creatures and that kind of thing, that you know, when you try to go low with your voice, you know, it kind of flattens out. You don't have as much variety to it. So um, my idea was to do it in my own vocal range and have them lower it and add bass to it to to bring it to the size of the dragon, because there's no way I could have any human could have done that uh, vocally so that I could bring a lot more musicality and variety and emotion to the voice. So it was fun. I get, you know, some of the stuff that I did was low, some of the stuff that I did was high, but then when they, you know, married it to the picture and added, uh, you know, the, the beauty of, uh, you know, whatever kind of sound system they used, Dolby or whatever it was, um, to it, it really, uh, I mean, it's really kind of earth shattering, you know, it's really kind of cool. Yeah. So, um, you know plus it it was able to really bring across you know the emotion and the and the feel of what i got to do so you know it was what started out as a you know as a little um, session or two turned into uh you know 10 12 sessions uh you know um in this on the sound stage um giving them as many different versions of what i could do with it as possible so that they could choose from it and add to it and use it in other places and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it was, a, it, it, was, it was technical, but also a lot of emotional and physical work to bring it across, mm-hmm. and it, it really came across great. They did such a beautiful job crafting this movie. You know, it's, it has the feel of, a, of um, you know, an instant classic Disney movie, but at the same time... Like as a you know, if you brought, a parent brought their kid to it, they wouldn't be sitting there going, "Okay, when is this movie going to be over?" You know, my kid's enjoying it and loving it, but yep. you know, what about me? Yep. Movies for everybody. You know, it's it's funny. One of, one of my fans wrote is like. Okay, so uh, I was had a really hard time not crying in the uh, touching moments and that kind of thing. My 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 child was bawling, and then I looked over to my buddy who's really macho sitting next to me on the left, and he was he had his handkerchief. I was weeping. <laughs> I was like, "That's perfect, he right?" So you know? and he goes, and we laughed through it. We cried through it, and the whole thing, and the relationship between he and Pete were really great, and all that stuff. And that's. Really, that's all you can ask for when you're trying to make a good movie is for people to take the ride and believe it, what they're watching. You know, if if they're in and out of it, then you've not done your job if they're in it and they're believing it. And and other things I loved about this movie, um, having shot it in New Zealand uh, where they made it look like, you know, the uh, Pacific Northwest here in the United States um, was really great to shoot it on locations instead of making it look like um, a bunch of CGI backgrounds and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I completely um, agree with that.
0: Yeah, I mean now they're able to bring make the dragon look so real with with natural backgrounds that they don't have to, you know, put unnatural backgrounds to make the the creature that's forward look real. It was pretty amazing. When I worked on *Jack the Giant Slayer*, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I was amazed by what they did, um, bringing these giants to life, and that was all mocap. So we, you know, we were in those those funny suits with uh-huh. all the spots all over our face and stuff. And I mean, that's hard work. That's that was a lot of fun work. I mean, I got to work with Bill Nye, you know, which is a you know, uh, wonderful British actor. Wow, yeah. So we're like Bill Nye the Science Guy. And I'm like, no, not Bill Nye <laughs> the Science Guy. Bill Nye like, from you know Love Actually and all the, <laughs> all these great movies. You know, this incredible British actor. You know, playing these two headed giant together. And um, we had an amazing time in these ridiculous suits, but we had a lot of fun uh, bringing that to life. And it's a very expensive process for them to bring entire an entire world and all those creatures to life. Um, You know, it took them a year of uh, you know work and um, of intricate work and and uh, you know a two hundred million dollar budget to realize an entire world um, that has real locations married to fake location, you know, CGI locations to with real characters and CGI characters. It's that's no small feat. It takes like a you know, a great director like Brian Singer to bring that to life and to um you know, have an incredible team of people with a lot of money to make that, you know, come to life. And you can make that as real as you want to make it if you have the money to do it. At Mm -hmm. some point, you just can't spend any more money on it. You know, in certain parts of it, you're like, oh, that didn't quite look finished, you know. (laughs) Um, Not that that movie had that, but, you know, I've seen that in some of the movies. But this movie was done on location with a $66 million budget, which sounds like a lot of money, but in comparison, not.
1: Yeah, nowadays Um, it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, David Lowery, who comes from independent filmmaking, you know, bringing such a personal touch to it. So I was, I was pretty proud to work on that. And I, I spent a lot of time, you know, putting, putting it out there for people to come see it and, and wanting people to see it. Just because I, I, I knew that they would enjoy it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. exactly. I wanted to close real quick on, in 1993, they created the animated series Tell Us from the Crypt What are your thoughts about that process? Were you kind of skeptical when they announced they're going to make it a kids' version of it?
0: Well, you know, it's funny because I had been saying to them that they should do a live-action kids' version. You know, where nobody dies, but it's, you know... I said, look, you know, ki- ki- kids, I love this stuff as a kid. I, and the comic books were originally for kids, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, you can make a kid's version of this, you know, with a Crypt Keeper and, um, you know, he introduces and the and the actors in it are kids and that kind of thing. And they're like, nah, too scary. They won't let us do it. They'd never let us do it, blah, 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 you know. And they go, okay, well, we're going to do a cartoon version of it, Um and, you know, of course, I came in the studio and they wanted me to tone it down, you know, because they were afraid of scaring kids. You know, they wanted to appeal to kids that wanted to watch it but weren't afraid of it. But, you know, like we were saying earlier, there's those kids that are afraid and then there's, there's kids that, you know, get the the comedy of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, the animation and the colors were very different than what you'd, you know, would have seen. Of course, I grew up on Merry Melody and, and Looney Tune cartoons, which yes. were so fluid and that kind of thing in this this had more of the feel of a Scooby-Doo uh, kind of thing, which I loved. But at the same time, you know, being a fan of animation is just, again, it's, it's it takes a lot of money to make those fluid kind of cartoons as opposed to this. But, the you know, the marriage of colors and, and the way that they drew the characters, like a comic book and that kind of thing, made it really special. And um, so it was, you know, we did them fast. It was fun to do, but at the same time, it, it was kind of like, a held back version of the Crypt Keeper and a held back version of what they were doing, and then of course, <clears throat> television came out with R.L. Stein's Goosebumps,
2: you yeah,
1: know, which was a live yeah. action version.
0: <laughs> yep, I was going
1: to say that it's just like it's a kids' version of it. It's it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, and I was like, I told you, you guys missed the I told you, and, you know, but they they swear that the the Crypt Keeper himself just would have been too scary for kids, you know. Perhaps, but um, <clears throat> here you and I know all these years later with all the fan base that are now, um, you know, anywhere from their, from uh, 20 to, you know, uh, 50 that were, you know, teenagers, adults, kids, you know, whatever, um, uh, that fan base, plus the fan base that were adults at the time, that they're all really passionate about it and that the Crypt Keeper is, you know, there's little kids that came up to me and they're, I mean, you know, Adults now that came up to me and said when they were a little kid, you know, you know, the girl would say, you know, my family teased me because I used to say the Crypt Keeper was my boyfriend. <laughs> 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 have I got a b-
2: for
1: her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that. So do you have anything you want to promote, like any Twitter or Facebook or anything?
0: Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm on uh, Twitter under John Kassir, J-O-H-N-K-A-S-S-I-R, and also on Facebook as John Kassir, uh, J-O-H-N-K-A-S-S-I-R, on Instagram with the same name. And, um, uh, you know, I, uh, Facebook, uh, I see everything that comes on there. Um, I have, you know, I have my full 5,000 people, but you can still follow me and and you'll get all my posts and all that stuff. And uh, you know, as people drop out, I add other people, that kind of thing. But uh, nice. they don't. Unfortunately, don't give you the ability to to add everybody. Yeah. I got a couple thousand people that have wanted to to become friends with me on Facebook. I should I should do another fan page as well, where they can just um, also follow. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just I'm you know, it's like I'm not very tech savvy, and to spend my time doing that is is uh, I'm, instead I'm trying to do as many good projects as I can for the fans to enjoy. Um, and, but sooner or later, I'll get around to it. In the meantime, just follow me there and uh, and get in touch with me on uh, Facebook or Twitter or send me some cool photographs on Instagram.
1: John, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a huge honor, big fan of your work.
0: Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Can I have you close the episode out as the Crypt Keeper?
0: Hello, kiddies. This is John Kassir, the voice of the Clip Keeper. And you're listening to Tim Nidell on Saturday Morning Rewind.
2: <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to that Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check him out on Facebook and Twitter. That's all, folks.